0: You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Psalms.
1: Here's the point. I do have one. So, (laughs) it's not about how bad David was. It's about how good God is in spite of how bad David was. And does that not give you and I hope? God is good. God is a gracious God. He does not pay us as our sins deserve. You know, by the way, murdering Uriah and adultery with Bathsheba were two crimes under the law at that time that were punishable by death.
0: Are you carrying guilt and shame from the sin in your life? It's not the wrath of God, but it's kindness and mercy that leads us to repentance. Pastor J.D. reminds us in today's message that no matter what you've done... If you seek the Lord and earnestly repent, your sins will be forgiven. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in Psalms chapter 132 with today's edition of Living Hope. If God
1: wants to get through... Elijah, he's going to use fire, because Elijah's kind of into the whole fire thing. But no, he's not in that either. He was in the still, small voice. In the original language, it carries with it the idea of a whisper. I know this is going to date me, and I know I've shared this before, but for those of you in my general age group, you remember those old shampoo commercials? If you want to get somebody's attention, whisper. No? Okay, forget that I used that commercial as a, an example. But isn't that true? When somebody's yelling you at you, and like I do every week, and all in the dramatic, I mean, you tune them out, and you shut yourself off. But if somebody comes up to you and says, Hey, psst, you're like, what? That's what God was doing. God was getting His attention, not in the big, not in the dramatic, but in the quiet, in the still, in the small. Be still and know, I am whatever you need. Before we get to Psalm 132, let me just say lastly, Some of the greatest experiences that I've had in the 37 years that I've been walking with the Lord have been those times where I have just shut everything out, quieted myself down, and was just still. And I think some of you will know what I'm talking about when I say this. I mean, it's like you don't want to leave. You don't want that time to end. An hour goes by, it seems like five minutes. He inhabits the praises of His people. In your presence, Psalm 1611, is fullness of joy. I mean, you're just so filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit and the presence of God and intimacy with God. We just hired a children's ministry director on staff, and I always have the talk. Because I know the dangers when it comes to the children's ministry. There are not enough hours in the day, right? So I said to her, I said, we don't really have hours. She's like, are you for real? (laughs) I said, I'm more concerned about your relationship with the Lord than I am your service to the Lord. Because if your relationship with the Lord and time with the Lord is not right, then your service to the Lord won't be right. I'm not a big meetings guy. You can ask my board about that. It's like, oh yeah, we need to have a board meeting. We're required by law. But I'm not a meeting guy. You know what I am though? I'm a guy that says, I want those that are working in this God's church to spend more time with God than they do serving God. Because I know that if they've had that time and that relationship and that intimacy with the Lord, the service to the Lord, whew, Seek ye first the Lord, and His righteousness, and His kingdom, and everything else just falls into place. And by the way, that's a principle you don't break. It breaks you when you go up against it. This is a powerful marriage principle. When you're spending time with the Lord as a husband, then the marriage relationship, when your relationship with the Lord is right, then your your marriage relationship will be right. If that's not right that's the problem I'm not a very good marriage counselor because when somebody comes to me and says here's the situation I basically just say well here's your problem your problem is not with your wife your problems with the Lord your problems with the Lord if you're right with the Lord and your relationship is right with the Lord and you have time with the Lord and intimacy with the Lord you'll have intimacy in your marriage but if that's not right, forget about it. Sorry, I just had a New York flashback. Psalm 132, another song of ascent. This one, though, we're not sure. It's probably not written by David, but it is certainly written about David. And it's a very interesting psalm. Verse 1, Lord, remember David and all his afflictions, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, speaking of Israel. Surely, verse 3, I will not go into the chamber of my house, or go up to the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes, or slumber to my eyelids, until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of the woods. Let us go into his tabernacle. Speaking of the tent of worship, the tent of meeting that preceded the temple. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. Clearly, this is David's master passion. There's almost a sense of, I can't enjoy the house that I live in when the house of the Lord is still in a tent. Speaking of the tabernacle, 4 verse 10, your servant David say, do not turn away the face of your anointed. The Lord has sworn in truth to David, he will not turn from it. I will set upon your throne the fruit of your body. We'll talk more about that in a moment. If your sons will keep my covenant and my testimony, which I shall teach them, their sons also shall sit upon your throne forevermore. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision." I will satisfy her poor with bread, I will also clothe her priests with salvation, and her saints shall shout aloud for joy. There I will make the horn of David grow, I will prepare a lamp for my anointed. His enemies, verse 18, I like this one, (laughs) I will clothe with shame, but upon himself, notice those are capitalized, his crown shall flourish. Now what's the psalm about? Well, it's an interesting psalm that first begins by capturing the zeal and the passion that David had concerning his desire to build the temple in Jerusalem. Oh, I mean, this was his life goal, but the problem is God wouldn't let him. Why? Because he had too much blood on his hands. And what's interesting is the prophet Nathan initially, when he asks the prophet, the prophet Nathan says, "Yeah, go ahead." And then God appears to the prophet Nathan at night in Second Samuel chapter seven. I won't take the time, in the interest of time, but in Second Samuel chapter seven verses eight through fourteen, God appears to the prophet Nathan and says, "You." Better go back and tell David that he cannot build the temple. He cannot build me a house, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build him a house. Not literally. You have to understand the Middle Eastern culture. In my Arab culture, it's the same in the Hebrew culture. To this day, by the way, when you describe a family or the lineage of somebody, you talk about the house of. In Hebrew, it's Bethesda, Is Beth, or house of of peace. In Arabic we say, Beit Saida, Beit is the house. Now when I was growing up, my dad would always talk about my uncles and their house, Beit Abu Hani, the house of the father of Hani. If you were to talk about my family, my house, my lineage, you would say Beit Abu Elias. You always take the name of the Firstborn son, the father, the house of the father of Elias. That's my house, my family. Saudi Arabia, Beit Saud. It was the house or the family of the Saudis, not the Wahhabis. So that Saudi Arabia was given to and became known as the house of Ibn Saud, the Saudi family, the Saudi house. So what God is saying to David is, David, I'm sorry you have too much blood on your hands. You cannot build me a house, but I'm going to build you a house. Here's what I'm going to do. The Savior of the world, Jesus the Christ, will come from your lineage. How about that? You know what David does? You would think David would say, okay, so In 2 Samuel, he's promised that his son will build the house. That would become Solomon, who, by the way, and this is interesting too, at the beginning of the psalm, remember David's affliction? David's life, you could say, if there was ever a man that lived a very hard life, afflicted, it would be David. Running for his life from Saul, who was trying to take his life, Homeless for many years. Here's the he's already been anointed as a young teenager to be the next king of Israel. Some of his affliction he brought on himself with his adultery with Bathsheba, which by the way, Solomon would come from that adulterous relationship. Now, why do I point that out? Because it just speaks to the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God. You know, there are some details in the life of David. For those of you that were with us during 1st and 2nd Samuel, it's like TMI, too much information. I did not want to know that about David scheming and plotting to have Uriah killed Bathsheba's husband, which he pulled off by having him there on the front line with his military commander. I mean, the detail. He even had the letter carried by Uriah, which was his death sentence, to give to Joab, the military commander, to put him on the front line. Here's this, this man who wouldn't, he tried to cover up, because Bathsheba gets pregnant, and he tries to, I don't, I don't even want to go back into it. David was not a good guy. And the, the Savior of the world is going to come from him? Here's the point. I do have one. So <laughs> it's not about how bad David was. It's about how good God is in spite of how bad David was. And does that not give you and I hope? God is good. God is a gracious God. He does not pay us as our sins deserve. You know, by the way, murdering Uriah and adultery with Bathsheba were two crimes under the law at that time that were punishable by death. And when the prophet Nathan comes and you know presents this case, and David becomes incensed, that man should be killed. And then Nathan says, you're that man. And he just crumbles and falls to the ground, Genuine sorrow, a godly sorrow that leads to a genuine repentance. And the prophet Nathan says, God has put away your sin. You know what's interesting about David? And again, I don't want to go too far into this, but he never repeated that sin again the rest of his life. It reminds me of the confrontation with the woman at the well. This was unthinkable in that culture, still is to this day in many places in the Middle East. Some believe she was set up, not the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery. And Jesus says, go and sin no more. In other words, he wasn't saying, go live a sinless life and everything will be cool. No, don't sin that sin ever again. And she didn't, I believe. And neither did David. This is another topic for another time. This is um, very misunderstood. Maybe just give me another minute on this. Because when people hear someone like me talk about the grace of God forgiving us for just, I mean, horrific, unthinkable sins, the question is often asked, well then, doesn't that make you want to sin more? No. The opposite is true. When you have tasted from the cup of God's kindness and love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. I mean it just ruins you for Him. The last thing on your mind is ever doing anything like that again. He woos you to Himself. You know I think about Romans 2.4. It says it's the kindness of God that leads a man to repentance. It's not the justice of God the judgment of God. No, it's the kindness of God, the mercy of God, that leads us to repentance. Well, Psalm 133, another song of ascents. This one is written by David. I like this Psalm. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren, to dwell together in unity. It is like, and here's now the comparison again, and something we don't really understand much in our day, because I don't think any of us have seen anything like this recently. The oil, the precious oil upon the head, I mean poured out the anointing oil, running down on the beard of Aaron, the priest, running down on the edge. I mean so much oil running down That's what it's like to dwell in unity? Ew. Running down on the edge of his garments. We'll explain that in a moment. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. All right. I'm not going to say it. I was going to say it, but this is one of my favorite psalms. There I said it. Here's why. Think about it through the lens of a parent. I just want to ask you, think this through with me. How do you feel when your kids are fighting with each other? Doesn't that just tear you apart? When uh, my two boys, Elias and Levi, were you'll forgive the personal references, but there's application to it here, so just bear with me. So when they were young, I remember at the top of my prayer list, I kept the prayer list, at the top of my prayer list was, please God, I beg you, please, they are fighting all the time. You know, and here I try to get in there and, you know, break it up, try to discipline them, and, and next thing I know, I'm fighting with, uh, with both of them, and there were, all three of us are in the mix, and I mean, it just, it goes from bad to worse. I hate it. I hate to see. These are my children. I love them so much. And they're fighting with each other? Well, let's flip it around to the other side. How cool is it when, of course, when they get older, this just happened, when Levi came home from college, Elias comes over and they gave each other a hug. (laughs) I mean, I'm bawling like a baby. Brotherly love, true philia, brotherly love, and they're talking pigeon. They got that from their mom, you know. I tried, I gave up. It's it doesn't it doesn't work, and I won't try now either because I wouldn't do that to you. But I mean, they're they're you're talking all local kind. Hey, what's would Hey, like I said, I can't do it. I'll let you guys fill in the blank. Arabic, I could do that, but that's not what they did. So, but I mean, they're just, and they're just, they're talking like this code. They're just talking story. Here I am as a an earthly father. I'm just going, wow, this is just, oh, I love this. So they're, you know, they're off in one of the rooms, and the the door's shut, and you know where I am? I'm on the other side of the door trying to listen. I want to, I want to hear them talk story together. And so when they're when they're down in the family room, I, I come downstairs from my office and I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm not even talking. I'm just I'm just watching them. Now, their sister, that's a whole different story because she's still young, and I don't want to talk about that right now, but how pleasant it is. How wonderful. It is. How much more so for our Heavenly Father? Think about it in the context of a church body, brothers and sisters in Christ. How do you think our Heavenly Father feels about Christian sibling rivalry? When His children are fighting with each other, backbiting, gossiping, How do you think he feels about that? Take how you feel as a parent when your kids fight and multiply it ad infinitum. And that's not even a beginning. You can't even begin to understand. Some commentators suggest he had this artistic mind, you know. They hang pictures on the gallery of the mind. I mean, they just have these picturesque imaginations and he's likening it to the precious, in some cases priceless, anointing oil, the fragrance of it. You know, our our prayers are fragrant before the throne, we're told in the book of Revelation. There's interesting studies about how the brain, you can smell something, and instantly it goes right into the hypothalamus in the brain, and it brings back memories. The power of smell is the most powerful sense that we have of all the senses. And so the idea here is, when we're getting along, Jesus said, if you want to know how they're going to know that you're my disciples, is by how you treat each other, by your love, one for another. And so how pleasant it is, how fragrant it is. Oh, it's so pleasing, the fragrance of it. And how refreshing, like the dew on Mount Hermone, that is what it's like for me when we, as God's children, that's what it's like for our Heavenly Father, when we dwell together in unity, and love each other, and get along with each other. Psalm 134, last psalm, will bring it to an end. Again, only three verses. Perfect psalm to end with. It's the last song of a sense. Behold, verse 1, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who by night stand in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord, the Lord who made heaven and earth bless you from Zion.
0: The poetry of the Psalms evokes emotions of all kinds. The author's lives were as varied as their songs, yet each point to truth we can't deny. God is still God, always in control and forever loving His creation. We can rest in the knowledge that our Heavenly Father cares for us deeply and is supporting us, calming us and providing life everlasting. We hope today's teaching on In Spirit and Truth stays with you as you continue on in your day, reminding you of truth and love at every turn. If you'd enjoy listening to more messages from Pastor J.D. Farag, you'll be able to find them on our website at inspiritandtruthradio.com. We do treasure our connection with our listeners. We'd like you to be a part of our social media community. Follow the links on our website to our Facebook or Twitter pages where you can add your thoughts to the conversations while filling your news feed with encouragement and useful information. We'd love to see you here in person at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe if you're in the area too. We hold services every Sunday at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. or come by on Thursdays at 7 p.m. for an in-depth Bible study. Directions can be found on our website. Again, that's inspiritandtruthradio.com. If you can't join us in person, we hope you'll find a local church community soon that you can call home. Having a supportive and biblically-based church is an incredible blessing in your faith experience. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll join Pastor J.D. again to continue studying the Psalms right here on In Spirit and Truth.